It's the year 2029. Cyborg policewoman Major Motoko Kusanagi and her partner hunt a mysterious and powerful hacker called the Puppet Master. As you heard from the intro, we're talking about classic movie, Ghosts in the Shell. What Def- a classic. Definitely another one where it really makes your brain hurt. Yeah, we honestly, going from Akira to this, we're just two of the big boys. Like, these are just the influential, just incredible, top-tier anime movies. We and promise it'll get easier from here. <laughs> absolutely. And this is a base-level talk. We're not psychologists. We're not psychiatrists. We're art students. I barely can do math anymore. So, with that said, we're just we're just looking at it like normal people would. 1995, that's the version we watched. There is, of course, a new live-action movie, Scarlett Johansson, that I don't know a single soul who watched it. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to watch it. Exactly. If you're not going to watch it, I'm not going to watch it. So, didn't hear good things about it. You can go watch it. I don't care. You're a free person. Do whatever you want. But in this case, yeah, the original 1995, it's got a grit to it. Just, it's another one that you can see the passion, the love in each frame of this movie. This one had a little bit more CGI, uh, you know, added to it, but a lot quicker of a runtime. We're talking 80-odd minutes, which we get to the end of it, credits start rolling. We're like, oh. Well, I think we paused um, kind of halfway through because we were like, oh, should we go to bed and finish tomorrow? And there was a half hour left. We're like, oh. Yeah. I felt like we would have so much more. But. Absolutely. So single setting, as a movie should be, I think. <laughs> um, but yes. So Ghost in the Shell, originally a manga by Masamune Shiro. Definitely differing as we've uncovered with our research. There, there's a stark difference between the uh, um, Motoko in the movie and the one in the, the manga. So why don't you tell us what, what makes it so different there? Oh, gosh. Um, she's definitely not a stone cold, like how she's portrayed in the movie. She's more bubbly, funny, energetic, and a little sexual. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot sexual, actually. Danielle called me. She's like, can you believe this is in the manga? She shows me this little page it was, spread. And, and it's it like, was the, the frame of this scene I showed him was actually a, col- a colored. <laughs> Everything else is black. Like, they do, like, segments in color. but In the manga, yeah. It, was, it didn't leave anything to the imagination. It was, nope. it was there. It was wild. It was absolutely wild. But uh, first anime film to be released at the same time in both. Not both. What am I talking about? In Japan, Britain, and the United States. A little bit of a simultaneous release, which hadn't really been done before. Yeah, and its intended goal was to bring anime to vast audiences at once. And unfortunately, it didn't kind of meet their expectations, unfortunately. Yeah. And it was a sleeper hit when it eventually came out on on movie. Which so. seems to just be an absolute trend. Mm-hmm. Akita, this. People realize how good it is a little bit too late, granted. Never too late, because now it's just cemented in history, and it's... And it's a, it's a classic. I mean, you look at it, and it hasn't really aged. I think it's still a beautiful and visual, captivating movie. And just for clarity's sake, you can watch this movie dubbed or subbed. Mm-hmm. We did watch it subbed. And very easy to find on... You should have watched it by now. That You know, we say this every time. You should have watched it by now. But if you have not, free on YouTube. It's got a couple ads, but... Can't beat that. Just YouTube, Ghost in the Shell, 1995, and watch that action. There's also Ghost in the Shell 2.0, 
which had come out in the 2000s. They basically just revisited the movie, um, enhanced a couple scenes, did some audio enhancements. I watched through it. There was some like cool little CG additions, but didn't really do anything for me. I'm still more of a fan of that. That nice. They, they had it down in 1995. It ain't broke. Don't fix it. Mm. Uh, but with that said, this episode, as much as you guys love us talking through each of the uh, aspects of the movies as we've done twice, this one's going to be more general. I think we're going to keep this more laid back and low. We're going to just talk through the plot. Very briefly. Very briefly. And then jump to some plot points and just talk over some overarching themes. With that said, we're just going to get right into the plot. Why don't you start us off? Yeah, so the movie begins with the scene of the major, and she's spying on a meeting taking place, as far as we know, an unspecified location in the city. Can, can, I, I have to, I know. Tom, just shut up for three seconds. I can't, it's not in my nature. I do have to say before we even, I know we're being more general, but you instantly see the Wachowskis totally drew from this movie when getting situated oh. with the Matrix. I know we want to talk about that later and we will dabble on it a little bit more a little bit more later, but you see her hooked into this network through the back of her neck and you're instantly like, okay. She's plugged in. She's plugged in. So definitely influenced, but this scene, yeah, she unplugs. Then I honestly I think this opening scene is one of my favorite as it goes into the uh the opening credits, both are just so iconic to me that I'm like, oh, I could just watch that, honestly. But sorry, continue. So we see in her mind's eye, she's overhearing this meeting mm-hmm. and we don't know anything that they're talking about. All we're just jumping right into the scene. Absolutely. And she's seeing that the meeting is going to be interrupted by a section six. You'll find out there's different sections to the city. Um, section six, there's a strike team coming in, at which point Matoko realizes, okay, she unplugs. She realizes she's going to have to do her part of the mission. It's time to move in. And she takes off her, her cloak and her clothes and she jumps off the building. Which I love that, you know, she literally just gets butt naked. She's just got her, her thigh strap for her gun. And that's the moment you're like, okay. This isn't Ren and Stimpy. Well, no, Ren and Stimpy still wasn't really for kids Oh, that either. was so vulgar. This ain't no uh, Rugrats. But it is telling of her character, which is expounded upon throughout the movie, of course. We're learning who she is, what she is, and all that good stuff. This movie kind of starts you off, and you don't really know much. So this intro scene's kind of crazy because it's badass, but you also don't know what the heck's going on. Yeah, the whole takes a while <laughs> into the movie before you kind of start putting the pieces together. Like, okay. So like even what happens in the she jumps off the building, you don't really know why they're here for the sting operation. No. And the next thing you see the diplomats arguing and she just goes in for her kill and lights up the guy and he explodes. Absolutely. Don't, don't know why. Don't know what they were talking about. Don't know anything. But and that's just it. And it's, it's the little nuances. That's what I love about anime. Could she have just jumped off and started the mission? That's great. No, she does this flip into a little spin like a like a olympic diver so elegant and beautiful right before murder (laughs) (laughs) and what i love after you know she kills the guy Mm -hmm. and the sector six officers are going to the window to -hmm. see who did it she's already got her camouflage on and just her face is showing and that's one of my favorite scenes, I think, in the whole movie. 100%. You see her face, and then she puts her hand in front of it, and then she. And I think a good way to describe it is it's not cam, it's not normal camouflage. What people no. are used to. We're talking about like a biomaterial, like essentially you can just 
It's kind of like the predator. I think they call it like thermo camouflage. Yeah, it's like the predator. Yeah, whereas you actually see right through her, except for it's kind of wavy, a little bit of distortion. And all you see is her face, and she puts her hand up, and then she's gone. Legitimately my favorite scene in the movie, and it's all of a minute in. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, then we go to another iconic scene. Guys, if you can believe it, this movie's pretty iconic here. The intro sequence has this shuddering green text. Again, you may have seen it in another popular movie. Oh, I don't know. The Matrix. <laughs> so you go through this whole process and you're watching this uh, humanoid cyborg become made. I I could just watch the title sequence over and over and over. Yeah. And actually, I did end up seeing it. I wish I had remembered what it's called to link it, but some fans out there made like a 3D recreation of this intro scene. It is so beautiful. But the talents that people have are crazy. Absolutely. So we get the title sequence and we're made to assume that it is the major when she's being made. She is nearly 100 percent cyborg. Yes. Um, only her brain is original. And I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's just, just her brain. Just her brain is the only thing that's left that is fully human of her, which it's not really crazy in the setting of this movie because cybernetics and all this stuff, it's just. Nearly it's, everyone has something you know, placed on them. You, you talk about, uh, about Gretchen down at the bar. She's got her whole tattoo sleeve. Same deal. In this year, it's now, yeah, her fingers are screwdrivers. I don't know. Some weird stuff. But she is basically cyborg with that little touch of human. Yeah. And so, so we get the intro or that um, beautiful sequence of her being made. And then we see her opening her eyes, laying on a bed, looking at her hand and she doesn't say anything. She wakes up, opens up her blinds in her room, and the you don't see anything. You don't see her room, it's a the way she silhouette. lives. Yeah, and you just see the city background. She gets up out of bed. She's silhouetted and assumingly puts some clothes on because you see her put a jacket on and walks out. We see and we get the longest shot mm-hmm. of just the cityscape, and then the blinds close, and then you just get black, which... Is kind of ominous, but it, when you watch it back, it makes you think, like, we're not getting any semblance of how she lives, like, yeah. as a normal, which the whole overlying theme is identity. Well, and that's, too, is for such a short movie that is so packed with such a story and all of this beautiful, like, world building, the director knows when to take these, like, break moments and let you just take it in. And so, yeah, right off the bat, you get that cool little atmosphere built, and then she's off to go continue doing work. So from there, we cut to Section 9, which is, you know, the agency she's working under, and the chief is there. And, you know, you get into scenes with the chief, and I whatever. I don't, They don't keep my attention too much. The I'm politics like, that you don't really, you can't follow anyway because you don't know any of the background. Exactly. So we're going to just skip over it. Exactly. But what is important in this scene is we do get the first mention of a mysterious puppet master. Essentially, a big problem going on um, that they're having to deal with is because people are so cyber, Cybertronic and what they have is this consciousness, which in this movie is called Ghosts. So there you go. There's the name of the movie, Ghost in the Shell. Um, this consciousness has been, you know, that's the point of the movie is like, OK, so now that everyone's becoming so cybernetic, 
what does it mean to be human? And that's just like this big struggle within the movie and especially with the major. She is just having a hard time this whole movie. So the main plot point taken here is, wait a minute, people are actually able to be hacked and their memories changed, which. uh, Yeah, which we see this woman laying on a table and she's all plugged in and. This is where they introduce to us that this woman who is the helper to an ambassador was hacked to assassinate that person. So mm. people are being mind melted and given different thoughts. And as we'll see in the next scene, memories completely erased and changed. Which is honestly terrifying because you think of cyberpunk and you're like, yeah, it sounds so cool. Look at all this. But then you forget. Wait a second. My computer could get a virus. What if my body could? It's, ter- mm. it's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible, terrible. So one of the missions now is they've been getting these weird uh, things going on, right? Yeah, they've. I think they've picked up that these phone booths are getting this sort of signal. Mm-hmm. So the major and her team, they roll out and are trying to catch up to who's planting these viruses in these phone booths. So, Which slowly starts to become a pattern, and then they realize, yes. wait a second. Yeah, at first they didn't realize who was doing it, and then they tracked kind of where on the route these things were being hacked, and they were like, oh, it's this garbage truck route, <laughs> so let's go get the garbage truck. Which you meet these two, and they seem totally normal. You got this one guy who he's definitely the one doing it. You see him messing around at one of the phone booths. He's trying to show a picture to his uh, co-worker, and he's like, hey, look at my kids. That's why I do it. And he's talking about ghost hacking his ex-wife because she's keeping their daughter away from him. And he's like, oh, I met this guy and he told me I can ghost hack her to get her to do what I want. And it's so he knows what he's doing is illegal. But his thing is, it's for my family. It's for my kid. So, you know, he's got that good motive. But you're like, dude, still, come on, it's messed up, dude. Mm -hmm. But. They uh, they eventually get to him and it's this crazy chase scene and just goes insane. And then one of I mean, do we just jump right to they're just chasing, chasing the garbage person. And then they meet up with the guy who is to be doing this ghost hacking for the garbage man. Mm-hmm. He's got this red shirt. That's the thing. The use of color in this movie. And mm-hmm. that's the one thing I've seen with the new live action one is they missed the the mark completely. It's all just muddy. The whole mm-hmm. universe kind of looks kind of gross, whereas this was cyberpunk in Ghost in the Shell, but it still had pops of color and whatever. You're going to hear me say that this movie looks gorgeous, and I hope you agree because, my gosh. <laughs> so we eventually find the guy who's to be doing this ghost hacking, and uh, they're like, well, let's get after him. Admittedly, he is putting up a good fight. His, he's got these pressure bullets that make their car explode at one point. It's an awesome chase sequence. Yeah, so they end up apprehending the garbage truck man, but the major starts pursuing this um, head guy. Mm-hmm. And they end up having a really awesome fight scene in the water. And we see, again, she's using that camouflage technology that she has and just kicks the living lights out of them. Yeah, <laughs> which she's also invisible in this part, too. Mm-hmm. Very well choreographed, very well done. That whole scene is so good. If there's one, you know, visual to take out of it, it's... Well, I guess everything in the movie so far. <laughs> so I think that's why it's popular. Well, I think what makes this fighting scene so cool is that they're fighting in water, like mm-hmm. ankle deep or something water. And you don't see any of her splashes or anything like that. But the one thing I think is cool, she got them finally on the ground and they have like an, an overhead shot. Mm-hmm. And you can't see anything, but you can see her shadow on the ground. On the ground, It yeah. is so cool. And for people who aren't used to fight scenes, 
you just basically see this guy's arms and legs like getting caught by clearly her and then just snapping. She <laughs> no no remorse. She is just kicking this dude's butt. And speaking of no remorse, not not that it's remorse, but you know, they have the guy on the ground. They're obviously going to take him into custody and Bateau, who's her partner on her team, She's obviously naked because she has to be like that for the camouflage. And he comes up, takes off his jacket and puts it on her. Yeah. And I just think it's it's a sweet moment. And then it also makes you realize she's this ruthless person, yet she doesn't have that mental, um, I guess, shame is what we'd call it, you know, because yeah. she's out. <laughs> well, there's showing... no, there's nothing sexual about it. She's yeah. just like, all right, fight time. Yeah. Boobies out. Mm-hmm. So... It's cool. You see the difference between the two characters. And honestly, Bateau has this very cool aesthetic where his eyes are these little gray things or whatever. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, yeah, so just you start seeing the differences between. So they've apprehended the garbage man and this other assailant. And they're in the interrogation room. And that's mm-hmm. where we find out the de- the devastating and sad news that this garbage truck man who was talking about, oh, my wife and my kid, he has been hacked. And yeah. all of those memories... He can't believe that those aren't real. They were like, we've been to your apartment. It's a bachelor pad. And he's like, no, I've just been staying there the past couple months because I'm getting a divorce. And they were like, you don't have this family. Yeah, you've been in that apartment for 10 years or something like that. And the picture that he, we saw the backside of it when he went to show his coworker is a picture of him in like a security. It was the creepiest picture of him from like a security camera point of view. Mm -hmm. It so ominous. And this is just good filmmaking, too, because they say when you're moving a camera in a movie, always have reasoning for that move. And so you, I don't know, I, I've, I've listened to a couple things about the new Ghost in the Shell, and they're just doing all these different camera moves and all this stuff. This scene for this interrogation, it is, boom, locked on. You are looking at him and you're watching him come to this realization. So it's very powerful. They know that this is just all you need to watch and very good animating. You could feel the emotion in the room. It was mm-hmm. and then very you, good. You see the major outside with Bateau. She's looking into the room and you see reflections play a big part in this movie. I think the reflection of reflecting on your own self, you see the shot of her looking into the room and you see both of like her real self and her reflection. And then that's kind of they jump right into speaking of reflections. <laughs> We see her under the water in a dive suit. Which, yeah, at first doesn't really, you're like, okay, she's just diving. Maybe it's a hobby of hers. And then you realize, wait a second, she's mostly cyborg. She isn't a floating vessel anymore. (laughs) This is actually incredibly dangerous. Yeah, which Bateau says to her, like, how do you feel comfortable doing that? Your, um, like, dive kit could give out and you would just be at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. And she talks about how she feels when she's rising up to the water, she can be someone new. When she sees her reflection Mm -hmm. coming up to the surface. Yeah. So there's clearly a lack of knowing who she is she's she's got a lot of internal conflict which yes if all that's left of you is your brain sure why not and then to see people around you getting hacked and then you start realizing well wait am i it's just this whole dilemma in the movie and it's just so yeah yeah it's just crazy she has a great monologue i'm gonna call it loosely the boat scene (laughs) you know her and bateau they're going back and forth like she asks him how much of you is cyborg you know because he's obviously i think based on that statement not as overdone as she has she's obviously full cyborg we don't know how much he is 
I think she's probably nearly 100%. <laughs> and she just has a great line, and I want to read a bit of it, talking about what makes someone a human and their identity. Mm-hmm. And she says, just like there are many elements for a human to be human, you need surprisingly many elements to be yourself, a distinct face, an unconsciously distinct voice, a hand you look at when you wake up, your childhood memories, foresight, but that's not all, a wide range of information and a network that I can access. All those are parts of me, create my conscious self, and at the same time constrain me within a certain limit. Yeah. And she's just got some demons. (laughs) Yeah, and at that point, you start to understand, like, okay, well, what you see is not what you get in this movie, and that things might be a little out of reach on the first watch. Sometimes you got to watch the movie a couple times to get what's going on. Yeah. Uh, Very dense and all that good stuff. So the boat scene was a huge critical scene due to the wavering of clearly her personality and all that stuff. So right after that, so we get a little bit more nakey. <laughs> nakey cyborgs. Nakey cyborgs. Uh, we've got a, a cyborg is standing in the rain uh, and just ends up getting blasted by a car. <laughs> Which is like, dude, get off your horn and try and move. That's what yeah. I never get in these movies. <laughs> uh, it's like, okay, or, or how, about, how about some brakes, maybe? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, I think he thought his horn was his brakes. So they take that body in, actually, to Section 9, where they notice that it's Completely robotic, and there are indicators that there is, a, in fact, a ghost within, which, as we've mentioned, there is a consciousness, consciousness within this shell. Mm-hmm. And Matoko, she says she wants to dive into the body to contact the ghost because right now it's non-responsive. Mm-hmm. However, she's equally unnerved that the body looks not similar in physical features to herself, but she feels like it's similar to her. Yeah, like something's off with this one, and it is a... it's. When it's looking around, it is very creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, goodness. Which, speaking of little creepy factors, I don't know if you wanted to say this later, but I think we can say it. At this point in the movie, you could have maybe started to notice, we don't get to see our main character blink very often. Oh, yeah. I didn't have notes on that. Yeah. But I have read on it, and the reason why the director did it like that was he didn't want her to blink at all to make her seem like a doll. Yeah. And I think to hit home that... That she is not human. <laughs> yeah. So it works. There's there's an un, unease with mm-hmm. some scenes in this movie that are just very, very good. Mm-hmm. So they're looking at this unknown woman, mm-hmm. um, the torso. And then, oh, who do we get arriving to the Section 9 facility? Oh, the chief we saw in the beginning from Section 6. Yeah. Clearly up to no good. Yeah. So they arrive, two diplomats, and they are saying that the ghost, they're coming to get it back. Mm-hmm. They're claiming that the puppet master is actually trapped inside this body. Yeah. And they go through all this rigmarole. Which, I mean, can we talk about some convenience? Everyone's looking for this guy, and he's just out in the road naked, <laughs> getting blasted by a car. So as... The chief from Section 9 and 6 are kind of arguing with each other. The Mm -hmm. puppet master decides, okay, time for me to start chiming in. And he starts to claim asylum from Section 9. And Section 6 is saying, "Uh, no, you're basically a machine. You don't get the right of asylum. And he's arguing, the puppet master, that the semblance of humans having DNA— is basically the same makeup that he has with all of this 
technological because he was scouring the networks, getting all this information, and now he has the same amount of data yeah. as a human would have. Basically, with DNA. just saying DNA is just memory. Mm-hmm. Whereas <clears throat> the puppet master here, who is just a consciousness that arose from this mass network that everyone's able to access, like she's accessing in the first scene of the movie and all that stuff. Yeah. So then you're starting to draw this line. Well, why is it different? What is this? And it's this whole inner turmoil of, oh, wait, yeah, what what do we do here? So things are definitely weirdly tense in the scene, too, because we also have Togusa, which is like the most human member of the Section 9 team, and he's seeing that something's fishy, like the cars that these Section 6 people rode in on, their weights are a little not how they should be. Yeah, and and then he's looking at the security cameras, and he's like, okay, the security camera shows that there's the two Section 6 people walking in, but the plate sensors is registering more weight, and the door stays open a little longer. And I think a great foreshadowing thing when they're about to do the garbage man sting. Mm -hmm. She's saying how he's the most human on their team. And that's a good element because if we were all the same, meaning all cyborg people, we'd be predictable. Mm -hmm. And so him looking at the situation, going through everything, he's putting it together because he's so unique and different on the team. He's able to, yeah, he's able to identify. He tells the major, hey, something, there's someone else in this building and they were, using that invisibility. Which just continues to add to Section 6, clearly, we don't like They're trying to hide something. Yeah. And what's cool quirk about him, too, is he only uses a revolver. Yeah. (laughs) Which everyone's like, what are you doing? We've got these guns that work perfectly great. And then I think it's even said in one of the earlier scenes, like, okay, it's great that you like that gun, but my safety is on the line here, so you need to use something a little bit better. Yeah. (laughs) Which is pretty good. But luckily, Togusa... Being the uh, perceptive man he is, something does in fact go down. They Section 6 has all these agents that end up causing a commotion and they grab the uh, the torso of the puppet master and get him into a car and are fleeing. Togusa, luckily being the absolute sharpshooter he is, manages to place a tracker right into the license plate of the car. Yeah, and then Bateau eventually gets into a car and starts chasing them. Absolutely. Now, at some point... The getaway car carrying the puppet master, they meet up with another car, and now they have a decision to make who's going to chase which car. Mm-hmm. So Bateau ends up splitting off and taking the new car, and the major ends up following the original car. Yes, which in in classic movie fashion, if you can believe it, our main character picked the correct car. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah, so once Bateau sees that the new car is just a decoy. He rushes off to go meet up with our girl, the mm-hmm. major. And Matoko, she ends up following the car to an abandoned building. Yeah. And which I watch that scene because they do a really pretty, they do like a far off kind of view of it. And then they have a closer and you see these like fish, like a fish sculpture and some other stuff. And I'm like, listen, this wasn't just drawn to be drawn off of a whim. There were some reasonings behind it, and mm. I want to talk about it after when we Absolutely. do some deep dives, but just keep that in mind as we talk about what's going to happen next. But Absolutely. So she ends up entering the building, and there's an armored tank. So Well, 
We don't see the armored tank. <laughs> True. <laughs> she it's invisible at first. She ends up dropping. I think there's a helicopter. They shoot out the ceiling and it drops glass on the armored tank and then it ends up revealing its cloak. And yeah, she's, it had that same, yeah. you know, camouflage that she was using earlier. Yeah. And this thing is a big boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, heavy artillery. And it's basically kind of looming over the car, protecting the puppet master at this point. Yeah. Big fight ensues, but we luckily get help from the old partner shows up. Yeah. So she's just trying to drain out its bullets until she can finally get close to it. Mm-hmm. it finally runs out of ammo. She puts on her invisibility and uh, tries goes crazy, goes, yeah, ape shit, and tries to peel open the hatch of the tank, and and she fails. Yeah, which we haven't seen her fail yet, and her arms and like her quads are ripping, and yep. she ends up falling on the ground. Yeah, and she's like she's trying to get into this hatch, and you see, and again, these animators, I can't talk about them enough. She's trying to pull it back. And as Danielle said, like, her muscles are popping. Her, her back. arms start to actually tear. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, pretty nasty. Yeah. But super cool. Yeah. And she, so she falls to the ground and the tank ends up picking up her head. Yeah. And is about to crush it. And that's when our boy, Bateau, he. Yeah, that's when the partner shows up. I was a little too hasty and crazy. <laughs> so the partner shows up, as you're saying. Yeah. And he ends up taking out the tank just in time because it was mid-crushing her head. And as we know, that's the only part of her brain that is original and, and has to be kept intact. Everything else can be replaced. But the head is the main source well, that. And forgive me, this has nothing to do with her brain. Forgive me, the weapon he was using it was some prototype or something, right? That thing was I sick. Can't, I can't remember. It was a big gun. Yeah. <laughs> and only our boy could be handling it. So, um, tank defeated. Other people. It's basically now just our two Section Nine agents and the puppet master. Yeah. So you know, she reiterates the fact to Bateau, "I'm going to dive in." So he's hooking him up. And then we get a little swipsop. The major goes into the torso that the puppet master was in, and then the puppet master is now taking over the mouth box and the voice of the major. Yeah. He starts to explain that he is Project 2501, which we heard talk about in the beginning and, yeah, never really knew what it was. But he's been collecting data and doing this hacking and stuff. And as he was doing that, he gained self-awareness and self-awareness. And in, intel, intellectual. There you go. So he's now a new entity. Yeah. He's kind of this being. I, I wouldn't say it's beyond humans, but yeah, he's just this new type of being. And he, he proposes to the major that he wants to merge with her so he can experience what it actually means to be human, which is to die. Yes. Reproduce. Reproduce. Like he talks about re- reproducing and dying. But yeah, the main reason is I want to merge with you. That way, technically, then, but it's, yeah, the main thing is to die, which is so odd. Mm-hmm. Smart being comes into awareness and is like, eh, and I want to die. Yeah. And I think also just that individuality because he, she says, well, why don't you just make a copy? And he's like, a copy is only ever a copy. It's not going to evolve and be anything different than that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be something different. So this is almost the reproduction by mm. creating a new being with her, which, you know, a little bit of a joke here, but clearly in the consciousness coming, his, uh, the information he was pulling for, from to become conscious was, uh, I think, 
too much millennial memes about wanting to die. (laughs) Oh, that was lame, but I'm old, so it doesn't really matter. I can make stupid jokes, I guess. Well, and a funny thing that he says was, while I was scouring the internet, I knew you before you knew me. Yeah. Which is, and then we get a cool part. I I don't think I have it written down as the quote, but, you know, he says at one point, she says, why did you choose me? And he says that we're mirror images of each other. Mm-hmm. So that feeling that she got before when she was like, I'm getting some heebie-jeebies from this yeah. torso. And and yeah, it was all set up with a purpose. He went there to find her. Absolutely. I also do remember, I think he says something along the lines of, if you enjoy podcasts, make sure <laughs> to follow the I Married a Weeb podcast. A little plug within the podcast. Not too bad, everyone. <laughs> So the merger happens. Yeah. But we don't ever, we didn't really see it. Um, until we saw it. Until we saw it. So, you know, the sector, Section 6, they got some helicopters up above, and their task is to take out both the major and the puppet master. So right before they are locked on to destroy their heads, Bateau puts his arm out over the major's head. And, and, and saves. in the nick of time, it sh- cuts her off right at the neck and her head goes flying. Yup. And uh, sacrifices his arm to, to save her, which was... The ultimate partner. Yeah. So we then uh, cut to a very creepy, weird little scene of uh, Matoko is waking up. And then there's actually this really cool use of the camera as it starts pushing in on this mirror I've seen it done in a different movie, but yeah, you push into this mirror and then suddenly it is the opposite angle. You you saw it. You know what it means. And uh, she just explains that she's no longer the major or the puppet master. She and doesn't really say who she is. Yeah. It's it's someone else. Mm-hmm. She ends up leaving and a great line to finish off the movie is, the net is vast and infinite. Sky's the limit. Yeah. So, yeah, Ghost in the Shell. Concise, great. As- yeah. As we said, 80, a lot to pack in in 82 minutes. Just so It goes well done. pretty quick. Now, one scene that I really want to talk about is, well, two scenes kind of wrapped up. I'll make it brief, but just sure. hitting home the fact of identifying your identity mm-hmm. and being confident in that. You know, we already talked about it in the boat scene. Yeah, we had the boat scene. And there's another scene They've met the puppet master already, and Bateau and the major are in an elevator, and she asks Bateau if the body looks like her. Yeah. Can we call this the elevator scene? Yeah. Okay, cool. But very concise. <laughs> so the major says, everyone who's entirely made of cybermedic parks like me wonder if I died a long time ago, and the current me is just a pseudo person made of a cyber brain and cyber parts, or maybe I didn't even exist in the first place. What? I couldn't even, yeah. It's this huge hit where, yeah, you realize, wow, none of these people can actually trust. And no one, there's such an uncertainty of, did I ever exist? All this stuff. I'm glad I'm not a robot at that point. I already have enough trouble in my own head. And Bateau being, you know, the good support that he is, he basically calls her a moron. (laughs) (laughs) He, you know, he said... You do have brains inside that titanium skull. And he's like, people treat you as a human. Mm-hmm. You know, you're no different than anyone else. And she ends up saying in the end, if the cyber brain itself creates a ghost and puts in its soul, on what ground should we believe in ourselves? She's not giving up. She, oh, yeah. 
she won't be consoled in the fact that, yeah, people may treat me as a human, but I still want to know who I am. Yeah, just soul searching. So that was an interesting part. Just a lot of deep thinking. People usually don't think about, like, who I am. Yeah, what makes me, me. And this movie really makes you question that. Yeah, it's it's good. You need a movie like this once in a while, for sure. Yeah. Then you said you had another scene, correct? Yeah, I want to talk about when we go to the building that the puppet master is actually in. So, as I said... The abandoned one at the end? The abandoned building. Yeah, yeah. So, they open the shot. We get all these beautiful angles of this abandoned building. And you find out that's not just a little cute fish statue. And fossils, soon we see, you know, when the tank's destroying the building, you see fossils on the wall and stuff. And it's actually an old museum, Mm. an old abandoned museum. And I think that's so interesting that they chose that spot to do this final scene Mm -hmm. before her and the puppet master merge because it's a tomb for natural creatures, And soon it's going to be a tomb for artificial creatures because they then become a new being. Yeah. So I just think that setting, no one would think about it. And there's also the tree of life in there in the background. Mm -hmm. They get shot up when when she's on top. I mean, poor thing. It had more action as it had in those five minutes in the past 30 years or however. (laughs) But even when she's on top of the tank and she's pulling that hatch open and they pan out a little bit she is underneath where the roots would be quote unquote tree of life for the tree of life and you know as i said before that moment of her trying to open the hatch and fail is showing that she's still human Mm -hmm. she fails because if she was fully machine she wouldn't have yeah. She would have been able to get it open and not have to destroy her body to do it. But That or even would have calculated that ain't happening. No way am I going in there. So <laughs> there's definitely something still human about her. Yeah. So just thought that was really interesting about something that you really wouldn't have noticed unless, like I did, watched it four times. Yeah. And you're well, really looking at everything. You know, you've had your two scenes. I'll talk about one that happens. <laughs> and it kind of seems a little random in the movie. At, at some point near in the, in the middle... There's this little reprieve where the director then just takes you out of the story and then it's actually just a little tour around this city that this is all occurring in. And you've got shots of the river, shots of all these buildings. And I mean, you will have seen it already, but it's such a cool little break because one, even though you're like, oh, why am I what what's going on with the story? You don't actually know it, but you're actually getting more story by being able to take in exactly the world where this is all happening so you know rivers are all you know messy and all that stuff it's all of this older architecture with new stuff built into it advertising everywhere classic cyberpunk stuff but just done in a the music's great during it well the entire movie but Mm -hmm. during that sequence that's good and that's one of my favorite i'm just a very visual person i do enjoy a little bit of a uh get my mind working while watching a movie but If I can even just have my eyes having a good time, that's fine by me. Yeah. And I watched through that scene a couple times, too. And, yeah, you're right. You know, you see old buildings and then you see new buildings going up. But you also see a lot of shots of the river. Mm -hmm. She's on a boat going through these streets and there's garbage in the river. 
Oh, yeah. And the garbage in the river are bicycles and machines, not just, oh, here's a can of pop or my Ziploc bag. No, it's machines. And at this point, we've already had the boat scene where she's already questioning her existence and you get these shots of garbage and... There's another scene where you see a brick wall and it's just poster after poster the same. Yeah. So it's like a copy, you know. There We're continuing seems... to see, like, that she's struggling with trying to identify herself. Whereas this, I think even the city is having trouble. It's, <laughs> it's like, it is a very weird, desolate place that in cyberpunk fashion, it's almost feeling a little less human and more, you know, lack of a better term, cybertronic or something of that sort. But, yeah, that's pretty much all I've got for this one. Oh, I have one more little, I have a cherry on the top that I wanted to ask you. Oh, boy. And and I guess you too, listeners. So, a question for you. What is your interpretation of the ending scene? Do you see any underlining meanings or anything in that exchange, as brief as it is? The exchange of what? When she is waking up at in her new body and before she leaves and she's at Bateau's hideout. Is there anything in that? Because I watched that a couple times and I have some thoughts. Oh, I know. My, <laughs> my mind is as desolate as the city in this movie. Okay, so I just want to start out with the first shot. So yeah. you get that punch in. Where she just looks like a little doll sitting on the chair. Yeah. So... Oh, I noticed that. I was scared of it. Yeah. <laughs> that brought back some PTSD. <laughs> but you get the mirror shot. Yeah. And you're focusing on what the major has become, which is a new identity. She's a child. She even makes a comment on this, like, what is this? And he's like, well, this is the only body I could get you on the black market. <laughs> and I think even that, as You might even look over it. It's funny. She's a little kid now. As she says later, she's a new person. Yeah. And what better way to describe that than visually put her in a child's body? That's true. Yeah, I guess I didn't really make that connection. Yeah. So thought that was interesting. Just a little something like nagging like on the back of my mind when I was watching it. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of visual information that I think went over my head. But no, that I mean, it totally makes sense. Well, another thing that's going to go over your head is (laughs) about this scene. So she's getting up to leave. Mm -hmm. You see her back is to us and you see the mirror at the end of the hallway that obviously was used in the beginning scene. Yeah. And the chair is empty. And it's an angle where I feel like if it was a true angle in real life, you wouldn't see the chair and or you would also see her in the reflection. Sure. So what I get from that is she's purposefully not in that reflection because it looks awkward when you're looking at it. And I think she's not represented in that because just like with her new body and what she says in the end, how she is neither the major nor the puppet master, she doesn't exist yet. Mm -hmm. She's going to now at this moment is her time to make her new identity with this this new identity literally and figuratively in her life as she begins anew. Yeah. She don't look in mirrors. She doesn't want to see her past. <laughs> she doesn't want to see that creepy baby. I don't look behind me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I think uh, that pretty much does it for a Ghost in the Shell, yeah? Yeah. So as you can see, these are slowly getting shorter, a little bit more concise. Hopefully this one uh, was our best watch with us Wednesday yet. And we hope you guys liked the movie because we sure as heck did. I'm very happy to own it. 
And I remember just being back in the day. I hadn't seen it yet, and probably for good reasoning with all the straight-up just nudity within two seconds of the movie starting. But I remember walking through Blockbuster, and I'd always see the case for Ghost in a Shell, and I always wanted to see it. And so I, I got that nice memory of, one, the dead Blockbuster, and then two, I do. I've had interest in this movie for a while. I just didn't know why. Yeah. But that's that. If there's any ideas you guys may have, just check out our Instagram post that we posted about. We we will do a post every episode. So if you have comments on this episode or any other episode, just go to the respective image on our Instagram and comment. Call us duty brains if you want. Well, don't do that. That's weird. <laughs> and with that said, I don't want to be rude, but I'm done here and I'm hoping you're done here. Danielle, say goodbye. Well, what if I have one more? No, I'm just kidding. Bye, guys. <laughs>